worship this morning. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. You guys can have a seat. We're really excited that you're here this Sunday morning. Is anybody excited to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Amen. Well, hey, we're, we are excited that you're here. And just like Pastor John said, my name is Zach. I've been a staff pastor here for a little bit, but I actually started nine years ago. I graduated high school out at Redwater High School, and shortly after that, I came on here as an intern, which means I get to uh, mop the floors every week at Powerhouse, and it was awesome. So I uh, started out mopping floors a few hours a week, and it kind of grew into uh, more of a part-time position, and then it grew into a full-time position, and now I'm actually one of the staff pastors here, which is crazy to think that nine years ago, uh, Lord, the Lord brought me from that place to where I am right now, and um, it's, it's, it's crazy also that I have the opportunity to come share with you this weekend, and it's really encouraging to me to know that we have leadership in this church that believes in the next generation. Uh, that's an awesome thing, and I, and I want to tell you, there's a lot of places around the United States that, that have churches this size, but they wouldn't let someone like me preach. But let me tell you, Pastor John believes in the next generation, and it means the world to me. So real fast, I want y'all to make some noise for our pastors. So it's, it's awesome. So every week we have the opportunity to, man, to come work alongside Pastor John, Pastor Mike, pa- uh, Pastor Travis, Pastor Nick, Pastor Cole. And I want to encourage you, man, lift these guys up and their families every single day. Pray for them and stand in the gap for them. Cover them with prayer. Um, but um, just like I said, I've been on staff here for nine years. I'm actually over all of the media department. So if it's lighting or sound or, or images and things that you see on screen, I usually have something to do with it. Uh, if you like it. Come and, you know, come and tell me about it. If you don't like it, you can email me at nickbirmingham at churchontherock.org. And um, just like I said, I, I work with the media. And um, normally I'm actually down at Powerhouse with the, uh, the youth and also the young adults in college. And one thing that, that we see all the time is we have a lot of youth and we have a lot of people that come through that know the vocabulary of church. Okay, they know that God loves us. We they they know that God has a purpose for their lives. But a lot of the time, people can know something, but they cannot know how to apply it to their life. And I feel like today, all across the United States, we have people that can that, that can rattle off the phrases that God is good all the time, all the time. God, we, we know the vocabulary, but a lot of the time it's like, okay, but in the middle of the bad situation or the dark time in your life, do you still believe that God is good? There's a lot of times when, like I said, we know the vocabulary, we know um, what the Bible says, but it's hard to apply it to our life. And that's one thing that I love about the way Pastor John preaches. It's, it's one thing to, to know a theological truth or a random fact in the Bible, but it's another thing to apply it to your life every day. And I think that's one thing that he does really well, and I appreciate that. But this morning, I want to encourage every single person here. And this week, as I was preparing uh, just, just for the weekend and everything that was going to go forth, the Lord kept laying on my heart. He said, I want my people to leave encouraged. I want my people to leave knowing that they have a purpose and that I'm, I'm with them wherever they are in their life. And, and that's one thing that, uh, you know, whether you're six years old or you're 70 years old, 
we're all completing the process of God in, in our lives. How many people believe that this morning? So we're never done with the process until one day we stand before God. And, and I, and I want to ask you guys this. If you've ever been to church before, you've probably heard this, this statement that you have a purpose. How many people have heard that before? I mean, we, we've all heard that. We all know that. We know the Bible says that. But I want you to leave when maybe this kind of flipped or rearranged in your, in your heart and in your mind this morning. Because if God has a purpose for each and every person that's here this morning, then that means that there's something to accomplish. And, and if every person has a purpose, and then every person also has something to accomplish, that means God is a good God. He's faithful through it all. That means he's going to give us every single step that we need to accomplish the task at hand. Okay? So this morning, this is what we're going to talk about. I love um, just kind of running through stories in the Bible, and I also kind of preach from a few points. Uh, so this morning, as, as I continue, I want to encourage you, man, take notes, write stuff down, because note takers are history makers. I'm pretty sure that's Pastor Mike's line, but uh, we'll give him credit for that. But this morning, we're going to examine a story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's found in Acts chapter 27, and it's talking about Paul. You know anything about Paul, you can read through Acts and, and see incredible things that he does for the kingdom of God. But Paul goes through tons and tons of stuff in his life. And I think it's funny that Pastor John mentioned this earlier in ministry time, but I'm telling you, Paul remains faithful because God had a calling on his life. And we're gonna we're gonna examine a couple stories in the Bible, and as we do, I want you to put yourself in Paul's shoes. Okay, so uh, this morning we're going to jump in Acts chapter 27. This is kind of uh, midway through the chapter, and if you know anything about this, Paul and Luke are hanging out together. They're on this ship uh, with 276 people, and the majority of them are prisoners. Not only prisoners, these are people who have been arrested, they've already gone to trial, and they're convicted felons. Okay, so these aren't people that just, you know, maybe they did something bad. They're convicted felons. They're in this situation that's already kind of like, I, I would not want to be on a, on a boat with that many prisoners. I just, I, I wouldn't. But Paul and Luke, they're there, and this storm comes. And whenever this storm comes, God sends an angel to Paul to give him a word. And, and we'll, we'll kind of see how this word encourages Paul through the storm he's about to go through in his life. And uh, this is where we pick up. So the angels already appeared to Paul, and Paul is speaking to everyone that's on the boat with him. Okay? So again, this is in uh, Acts chapter 27, verse 22, and it says, But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Okay? So, so Paul, he's trying to encourage these guys. And he's like, man, everyone's going to be fine. This storm might be here, but we're going to be okay. Oh, by the way, we're going to have to wreck the ship somewhere. It's like he kind of sneaks the bad news in there right at the end. But this leads me to my first point, and I want you to write this down, and it's you have a promise. I want you to, I want you to say that. I want you to believe it. I have a promise. You have a promise this morning. And the thing is, 
there's two promises that are really given right here in just these few scriptures. So the angel appeared. Paul heard from the angel. The angel said, no one that's with you is going to die. That's one promise. Promise number two is you're going to stand trial before Caesar. Okay, and, and one thing about this time, if you go back and kind of study this era, Rome is uh, the most powerful nation in the world at this time in history. So Caesar, if you will, is the, is the president or the king of this area. He's in control of all this. So in this time, the angel tells Paul, hey, look, you're going to stand trial in front of Caesar, who happens to be the most powerful man on the earth. Think about that. It's like when Paul was a little kid, I really doubt he thought about, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand trial in front of Caesar one day. Hopefully, if I ever do stand in front of Caesar, it's not on trial. It's for some other reason. But he receives this promise, and the things that he's about to go through, the things that he is about to endure, I'm telling you, God gave him this word before he was about to go through a rough situation. And I feel like a lot of the time in our lives, we go through things that are difficult. We go through seasons that are painful. We go through seasons and it seems like, man, nothing we do is, is working out. Nothing's happening. But whenever it, at, at the end of the day, guess what? God's still in control. And he can give us a promise to hold on to no matter what we face in our lives. And so um, as we continue here. A lot of the time, when we think about these promises, uh, we set up little little things in our lives that we believe that we can do. And I remember whenever I was in uh, in business school here in town, I, I took a course, and they were talking about setting goals for your organization as like a manager. And he was like, well, what you want to do is set goals that are out of reach, so you have to work towards them, but they're not out of sight. So it's something that your, your, your employees, they could see this happening in the organization. But if you can accomplish your goal right now, the goal is not big enough. And I feel like a lot of the time in our life, we come up with these things and we, we say that they're words from God. And God's saying, dream bigger. God's saying, my promise and my purpose for your life is much bigger than, than the box that you're placing me in right now. And I feel like there's people here this morning that, that God wants to stir up maybe a promise that you had in your life when you were a teenager and you hadn't thought about it in years. Maybe there's things in your life right now that, that, that God wants to kind of, there, there, there needs to be a resurgence. And this weekend, I'm telling you that God has a promise and a purpose on your life that's much bigger than anything that you can do on your own. Because if you can do it on your own, it's not, it's not God-sized. We have to be dependent on him. But one thing that's difficult is whenever we get in these situations, so God gave us a promise, and then we kind of get to this rough situation in our life, a lot of the time we can let go of this promise that God has placed in us. And when we let go of it, what is there to hold on to through, through the trials, through the tribulations, through the trying times in our lives? And um, it kind of reminded me of a, a passage of scripture uh, several chapters before this, but this is actually in Matthew 14. And if you've ever been to church, at some point you've probably heard the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Okay, so this is we're jumping back to that little story. Jesus is with his disciples. 5,000 families show up. So they're thinking 25,000, 30,000 people Jesus and his disciples feed with two fish and five loaves. So they're, they're there, they're, they're hanging out, they're doing all this stuff, they, they pass out all this food, they take up you know, the, the baskets at the end, and then immediately Jesus says, 
all right, I want all the disciples, y'all get in this boat and go to the other side. Does anybody, anybody remember the story? Y'all, y'all tracking with me? So he's saying, get, get in the boat, go to the other side, and uh, we'll see you later. Jesus goes away to pray, and this body of water that they're supposed to cross, when they're crossing it, a storm comes, and it should only take about two hours of rowing to get from one side to the other. Two hours. And when they begin, eight hours later, in the middle of the night, it's about 3 a.m., they've been rowing all night, and they're only halfway across this body of water. This storm is getting really, really bad, and Jesus uh, is nowhere to be found in this moment. So if you remember the story, all the disciples are, are distracted, man, they're, they're worried, and they don't have a whole lot of hope that they're going to live. They all think that they're about to die in this boat, and they're thinking, man, why did Jesus send us out here in this boat to die? Like, I don't, I don't get it. And you know, shortly after that, Jesus walks up on water, which is crazy. I'm sure you've heard that story before. But you can even look in your Bible. In the NIV, there's, there's titles right above each little passage or story. And it says, Jesus feeds the 5,000. The next title is Jesus walks on water. So the disciples saw both miracles, but somewhere between the two miracles, they lost all faith in God. Have you ever been there? It's like, man, God's doing some stuff, but uh uh-oh, I got a ticket on the way home from church. My day's over. You know what I mean? It's like, it it, it just, it goes south really quick, but there's there's another part of the story that that I want to point out, because if you you read back through this, they pick up uh, baskets of food leftovers. Does anybody remember how many baskets of leftovers? Twelve. There were 12 baskets of leftovers, and most scholars believe that they took up the 12 baskets, they placed it in the boat with them, and then they started out across the ocean, and again, somewhere between the two miracles, they lost faith, even though there was proof of a miracle in the boat with them. And I want to tell you, sometimes in our lives, we can get frustrated, we can get hurt, we can get down, we can get discouraged. But God's saying all we have to do at some points in our life is look around in our life, and there's, there's miracles surrounding us right now. And the miracle for a lot of people in here is that you are not the same person you used to be. For some people, the miracle is that you and your wife are still together somehow. The miracle is that, man, your kids came home. The miracle is that, man, you were praying for that job that you were not qualified for, but God blessed you. I'm telling you, whatever the miracle is in your life, I'm telling you, you can examine your life right now in this moment, and there is proof that God is still God. That God is still a miracle-working God, and He can work in me, and He can work in you. But so many times we lose faith, even though, man, there's miracles right in the boat with us. And I remember I was, I was thinking about this, and this story kept popping up in my mind this week. I, um, I used to play uh, football in Alabama. I was in ninth grade, and we had this defensive coach who was a part-time coach. So he was a, a businessman. He owned a hardware store, and then he also coached us part-time. And uh, every week we would have practice and all that stuff. At the end of practice, we would say the Lord's Prayer. He would come out, and he would t- uh, tell us to take a knee, and he would tell us some story, okay? And this guy was probably in his late 60s, and he always had, like, the best stories. I don't know if he made them up, if they were true, or if he Googled them or what, but... I don't even know if like Google was a Google wasn't a thing back then, but uh, but our story uh, we we would have story time, 
And so he, he sat down one day and he said, man, several years ago, he said, I was in my early 30s. I had opened up my first business in a small town in Mississippi. It was a small hardware store and it was a small town. But he said in that small town, he said, I didn't really know a lot of people yet. And I was trying to make connections with businessmen, you know, kind of just stay connected with people. And there was one businessman that was really kind of a, a powerful guy in town. Everybody kind of looked up to him. And uh, he said, I remember... Every year, this guy would have a, a hog hunt. So he would get a lot of the businessmen around town. We would go out, and they would, they would hunt hogs. And if you were invited to go on this hog hunt with him, it was like a big thing. Like, that, that was the place you wanted to be because you made connections with a lot of powerful businessmen in town. And he said the, the time came, and he said he wasn't invited. And he said he was kind of down about it, and uh, he, he wasn't invited. And there was another guy in town. His name was Sonny. And he said, honestly, this guy was kind of like the town drunk. And he said, this guy, he was, uh, he was a little bit crazy, but everybody loves Sonny. You know, he's just a nice guy. He's always taking the edge off, you know. But anyway, uh, so Sonny's there. And, and he said, man, I, I know that, that you didn't get invited to go on this hog hunt, but how about you go hog hunt with me? And he was, he was kind of down, and he was like, you know, uh, yeah, I'll go with you. You know, that, that's fine. So Sonny says, okay, we're, we're going to go this day, um, but the only, like, stipulation is that I go at night, and I don't go by land. I only go by water, okay? And so my coach is a little freaked out. He's just like, man, I'm really hoping that he shows up sober, you know, <laughs> like uh, hoping for the best here. And... Uh, the, 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 the day comes, and um, our, our coach gets in the boat with Sonny, and he said, it, it's, it's like pitch black dark outside. He said, man, we can't see anything. He said, the river's really narrow. There's trees kind of hanging over on each side, and, and you can't see anything. And he said, uh, Sonny cranked up the, the boat, and he said, went full blast down the river. And he was just like, he was getting freaked out, and he was like, man, Sonny's got some guts, you know? Like, he doesn't care. And, and he, he finally says, all right, Sonny, like you, you've got you've to slow down. We're about to hit trees or something. I'm really worried that, that we're going to get hurt. And Sonny looks over, and he, he kills the engine, and he said, man, it's really easy to, to be scared out here. And he said, I understand that it's scary. But he said, can you see like a mile ahead of us? He said, there's a curve in the river. And he, he said there, the, the, the trees were kind of separated, and about a mile down the river, he could see where a little bit of moonlight was reflecting on the river. So the, the moonlight was reflecting there. He said, every time I come out here to go hog hunt, I'm trying to get where I'm going as fast as I can. And if I just sit here and I think about how dark it is where I'm sitting, he said, I'll never go anywhere. But he said, so what I have to do is I have to keep my eyes on the bend of that river up there. And he said, I don't want to sit here, so I floor the boat as fast as it'll go, and I get to that curve as fast as I can. He said, whenever, whenever I get to that curve, he said, guess what? A couple miles down the river, we'll be able to see another one, and we'll be redirected again. He said, whenever I crank the boat up, you keep your eyes on the light down in the, the, the corner of the river. And he said, just stay focused on that. He said, you won't even care about the darkness anymore. And I think you see where I'm going with this because so many times in our lives, God gives us a direction or a step and we step out and guess what? It's dark sometimes. That's the reason he gave us the step because he knew that we need to start heading in a direction. And I want to tell you that, that just like my coach, man, being in, in that boat, 
All you have to do is look where God's called you to go. And if you go there as fast as you possibly can, run as hard as you can to complete what God has called us to do in this season, when you get there, the next goal is right down the river. And a lot of the time uh, in our life, we can, we can get, get burdened or we can get scared or we can get worried that God isn't there. But I'm telling you, he's there in the midst of everything that we endure. And uh, we're about to pick back up in this story. And if you know anything about this passage, Paul is like about to go through it, okay? And it's kind of entertaining to me that it's like the worst day ever. And I was trying to kind of relate to this. And I remember back about Thanksgiving time, uh, I, I just had like a run of about a week that was about the worst week ever. It seemed like no matter what I did, everything went wrong. Has anybody ever had a, a few days like that? And it's just like, Lord, like, what are you teaching me? Because just tell me, you know, just I don't have to go through all this. But um, I remember uh, it started on Tuesday. I got to work. I was down at Powerhouse and I bumped something on my desk and spilled coffee all over my computer and it died. And I was just like, man, that's going to be expensive. Uh, we'll figure, you know, we'll figure out, uh, we'll figure, we'll figure that out here in a bit. I, you know, I go through the day. It was just kind of a long day. I get home, and there is a note on the front door, on the the doorknob of the front door, and it said, "Hey, the pound has been here. Call this number in the morning." And I'm like, okay. And I walk inside, and my puppy is missing. I have a picture, actually, of my puppy. This is Bailey. Yeah, oh, it's okay. You can say it. So Bailey is just just a couple months, about a couple months older than this, than this picture. And somehow she got out of our fence and the cops got called on a puppy. Like, how do you call the cops on a puppy? I don't know. But uh, the, the pound comes by and picks up my dog. And uh, I'm not sure that she's gone, but I drive around for about an hour. I can't find her. I don't know where she's at. I call the number the next day and they're like, yeah, uh, we have your dog. You need to come pick her up, but it's $100 to get her out of the pound. And I was just like... Uh, okay, and they were like, and also, um, you have to sign a paper that agrees that you'll get her fixed, that you'll get her chips, and that she'll get all of her shots. And, she, and they were like, that's 150 bucks. And I was just like, this dog was free, you know? It's like, <laughs> it just turned into like 250 bucks like that. And, um, and I remember I, I was leaving the house to go pick her up, and um, my inspection and, and tags were out on my, on my car, and I get pulled over on the way to the pound, and I get a ticket. And I'm just like, Lord, you know, whatever you're teaching me, just say it. And uh, I remember being like, you know, just kind of frustrated. And this was Wednesday morning at this point. And then Wednesday night, uh, Zaire and I were down at po Powerhouse, and we were doing an acoustic set of worship, and I broke two strings on his guitar. And so we just had to stop worship. They had to bring me another guitar. It was just like little thing after little thing. And so um, they made me agree that when I brought my dog home that I, that I had a secure area to keep her in since we live inside the city limits. So we bought a puppy fence, you know, the one where you bury the wire under the ground. They wear a shock collar. And uh, anyway, my brother and I, we worked all day digging a trench around the entire property of the house we live in. We got it all hooked up, and it didn't work. <laughs> I was just like, and while we dug the trench, I broke my shovel in half. And so I grabbed the other part of the shovel, and I just like tomahawked it across the yard. And I was just like, God, just take me down. Like, just kill me now, you know. And I remember being super stressed out. And um. And I had already promised Sarah that I was going to go down and see her family in Lafayette, Louisiana the next day. Uh, and actually, Sarah's here. She's, she's hanging out with us. Y'all make some noise for Sarah. 
my pretty fiance. Um, but anyway, so so I, I put the dogs inside the house since they can get out of the fence. I, I lock them in there. I go down to Lafayette. It's five hours, and we hang out. And while we're there, I'm like, man, this is this is you know this is a good trip. Maybe the curse has been lifted. I don't know. And and we go to leave. And as we're leaving to come back to Texarkana the next day, I back into a mailbox. I scratch up my truck that's like, you know, like my prized possession or whatever. And I'm just like, man, it's, it's going to be okay. I make my way back to, to Texarkana. Five hours later, we're five minutes from my house, and I get pulled over on 59 for speeding. And I'm just like, I'm just like I, I don't have the money for this, you know. And, uh, and I remember the, the, the cop let us off. Thank, thank goodness he, he let us off. And uh, it, it was no big deal. We, we get home, and this is where, like, the story even gets worse. Uh, we get home, we open the front door, and the house smells awful, okay? And I walk in, and I'm just like, dude, what happened in here? And come to find out, my dog, who was just a puppy, she wasn't completely housebroken yet, pooped in the floor, okay? And I don't know if it's okay to say that or not. I, so, so there was puppy waste on the floor. And right after this, r the Roomba vacuum cleaner decided it was time to vacuum the house. So the Roomba vacuum cleaner rolls right across the puppy waste and spreads it all over the house. And so I've been gone, I've already had a long week, and then I come home, and I immediately have to go get a carpet shampooer to shampoo all the carpet in the house, clean everything, and I remember trying to keep a good attitude, and I'll be honest, I didn't have a great attitude. Has anybody ever been there? It's like, dude, it's just like one thing after another, but kind of pulling us back to the story, and Paul, through everything that he went through, was much worse than our worst day. And he kept an attitude that was so glorifying to God, like it's, it's, it really makes me excited. And so we're going we're gonna to jump right back in. And uh, if, if you know anything about this, so, so Paul and Luke are on this boat. There's 276 people. Most are prisoners. Um, a storm comes. The ship begins to fall apart. They don't know where they are because they haven't seen the light of day or stars in 14 days. Okay, and you know, back then, this is how they navigated ships. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. And they're, uh, like I said, they haven't seen the light of day. When the ship began to fall apart, um, they had to throw out all the extra weight from the ship. So there was no food on the boat anymore either. So they hadn't eaten in three days. So how many people in here get a little angry when you get hungry? Amen. That'll preach. Okay. I'm preaching way better than y'all are amen in this morning, by the way. <laughs> Yeah? Okay. <laughs> uh, I had to sneak that one in there, Pastor John. <laughs> but, uh, but, but real fast, uh, so Paul and them, he's with these prisoners. Uh, he hasn't seen the light of day in two weeks. He hasn't eaten in three days, and then they run their ship aground. Okay, so he's in a really rough situation, and this is where the, the story picks back up. It's in verse 42 of that same chapter. It says, the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to sp uh, spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land and safety. 
So this is kind of a completion of one of the promises that was already spoken to Paul previously by the angel. Um, And then we'll continue in chapter uh, 28. And it says, Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effect. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but After waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their mind and said he was a god. Okay? I think it's funny that it, like, just shifted. Like, I mean, way over here to way over here, it's like, oh, he's a murderer. Oh, let's worship him. You know, he's a a god. Um, But anyway, these people... They see Paul is, is, not, is not dying. And, and what's encouraging to me, and I know that in the back of Paul's mind, he said, okay, all these people are safe. No one's died. But God still said that I would stand trial in front of Caesar. So even if this venomous uh, viper, you know, jumps and bites me on the hand, which I'm deathly afraid of snakes. I don't know if anyone else here is, but the only good snake is a, is a dead snake. Amen. That preaches as well. Um, but the only, <laughs> keep going, the only good snake is a dead snake, but um, Paul, through this, I know in the back of his mind, he keeps telling himself, I'm going to stand trial in front of Caesar. The snake bit me, I'm going to stand trial in front of Caesar. I haven't eaten in three days, I'm going to stand trial in front of Caesar. As we continue, there's a couple points that we can even make just by the snake biting Paul in the hand. And one is that he shook the snake back into the fire. So he got bit, he got attacked by the enemy. And I want to tell you that the enemy wanted to stop Paul. The enemy probably knew that Paul would write two-thirds of the New Testament. The enemy probably knew that thousands upon thousands of people would come to know Christ. The enemy knew that he had to stop Paul, but guess what? He couldn't. And I want to tell you, every time that the enemy attacks us and tries to hold us back, whenever this viper bit him, he shook it back into the fire, and it's our job every day to shake the attacks of the enemy back into the fire. And, 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 it, and just, just so you know, the, the fire is this metaphor for our relationship with God every day. I'm telling you, it's a lot easier to hold on to the promise whenever we're building that fire every day. It's a lot easier to, to, uh, to build that fire and shake the enemy off into it when every day, man, we're spending time with God and we have a promise to hold on to. But I'm telling you, in the back of Paul's mind, he kept looking to the promise. He kept looking to the end of the river where he could barely see the moonlight. And he was saying, man, it might be dark right now where I'm at, but guess what? God's not done. God's not done. Hey, he's not done in your life either. He was going to stand before Caesar. And let me tell you, your, your kids still might come home. I'm telling you, that job that you've been praying for, God's not done. I'm telling you, your marriage that you've been standing in the gap for, I'm telling you, God's not done. I believe it. I know it. 
I know it. Let me, let me read a couple more scriptures and we'll wrap up. Verse 7, it says, There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. And I think it's cool that he didn't eat for three days and then immediately God restored the three days that were stolen. That's a side note. For three days, they entertained us hospitably. For his father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. They made it to Rome. They made it to Rome because they got to stop in Malta. Malta was not uh, a destination they wanted to be at, but guess what? They ended up there, and while they were there, God used them incredibly. Paul started laying his hands on people and praying for them. People were made well. Hundreds of people were probably healed. Man, the whole island was impacted because there were two men that were going through really a dark situation in their lives. But instead of being down and hurt and and burdened with, with what happens in life, they said, hey, we're here. Let's do ministry and let God use us. There's a lot of people here this morning that it's like, man, you might be in that dark season. There might be darkness all around you. But I want to tell you that no matter where you find yourself today, God wants to use you now. Not whenever you get up to the bend. Not whenever the the promise at the end of the road. I want to tell you there is purpose where you're at right now. This is uh, point number two, and it's you have a process. You have a process. Paul and Luke on this boat... Man, going through all these things, this was their process. God used them in the middle of their process, in the middle of their hard time. No matter what we endure in our lives, I'm telling you, God's completing a good work in us. I believe that. I know that. And this leads me to my third point. And we're going to kind of close out here. And I can actually go ahead and invite the, the, the band and everyone up. And I might need a couple more minutes. Who will give me a couple more minutes? Two, four, six. That's plenty. That's plenty. <laughs> Just kidding. Pastor John does that one all the time, by the way, if you didn't know that. But uh, (laughs) learn from the best. Learn from the best. But point number three, you have a purpose in the process. Another way you could say this is you have a purpose in the hard time. You have a purpose in the good time. You have purpose in every time. And uh, just thinking about this, there's a guy who comes to speak here every year right around Thanksgiving. His name's Larry Myers. The guy is awesome. He, uh, man, he's, I think he's in his 80s, um, but he's still doing ministry. And I remember several months ago, we were all together, and all the men of this network of ministers thing, which is uh, a thing that we do with our church staff, he, he was there, and we just got done eating lunch. And they said, all right, uh, Pastor Larry, uh, do, you, do you have anything you want to share with everyone? And he said, uh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll share And he said, I've built hundreds of churches. He said, you can look at a map, and he said, you can look at the country of Mexico. You can put your finger anywhere in the country of Mexico. And he said, I built a church there. And I was like, man, that's quite a statement. And he said, we've built orphanages. We've built hospitals. We've done all these things. But he said, I don't even think that that was my purpose. And I was thinking, then what's your purpose? Like, man. And he said, my purpose was to disciple one man. He said, my life's goal at the end of the road, whenever I look back on my life, he said, the most crucial thing that I ever did was disciple one man. 
And he said, what's cool is that on the way to me discipling that one man, he said, I did a lot of stuff along the way. This one man that he discipled is, is, a, is a minister in Mexico, and he disciples over 310 pastors all over the country of Mexico. So yeah, he, he did an incredible thing by discipling this man, but he kept saying, he said, yeah, while I was on my way to disciple that man, he said, we built hundreds of churches along the way. He said, we built hospital after hospital along the way. We built orphanage after orphanage, and we did it all along the way. And I want to ask you this question this morning. What are you called to do along the way? Right in the middle of the situation that might be good, that might be bad, that might be painful, that might be hurting you and your, your finances or your family or whatever the case may be right now, I want to tell you, what glory can you bring to God through your pain? What glory can you bring to God through the good times and the bad times? And I want to tell you, even back to the beginning of the message when it said, man, you have a promise. God wants to put something inside of you, even this morning. There are dreams and destinies and things that God wants to encourage you in. And I'm telling you, the best thing that you can do for the next generation is complete God's purpose for your life. That is the best thing I can do. That's the best thing we can do. And I was thinking just, um, just the other day, the first time I ever drove into Texarkana, I was in ninth grade. It was a Thanksgiving week. And I remember we were about to move here at Christmas, and uh, we came in to look at some schools. We came in to look at like a couple houses my parents were talking about buying. And we passed by a church on the rock uh, the first time we ever drove to town. And when we passed by, there were several hundred people at Powerhouse for whatever reason. I don't, I don't really even know what was going on. But at that time in my life, I played drums at the church I was at in Alabama. And, and I remember when we passed by, I was thinking, man, it'd be really cool to play drums in, in that, uh, that youth group one day. It'd be really cool. And I remember several years later, Pastor Mike's son, Michael, invited me to church. And he kind of tricked me into coming, and I came. And I, I gave my, my life to God. And several months after that, I started playing drums. A few months after that, I started playing guitar. A few months after that, we started singing. I started leading worship. I came on here part-time to full-time. And now I get to stand in front of you today. And let me tell you, God's process is much bigger than what you think. I want to tell you that no matter what promise you place, I want, to, I want to tell you that God's promise for your life is much bigger than anything that you can imagine. My promise, my dream was let me be the drummer in the youth group. God's saying, keep dreaming. Keep going. This morning, I want everybody just to go ahead and stand up with me for just a moment. And we're going to kind of close out here, but uh, just preparing for this, this weekend, I felt like there were people in three different boats. I feel like one of those boats is, man, there's people here this weekend, and you're saying, man, I get everything that you're talking about. I get that uh, there should be a promise out there. I get that there's something for me to hold on to when I, when I meet tribulation. I, I get that. But honestly, in my life right now, I don't know what, what direction God wants me to go. I don't know what the promise is. I, 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 don't, I don't know what that looks like in my life. And that's okay, man. We all get to that place. But even now, I just I, I, want, uh, I want you to lift your hand if that's you. You're just saying, man, I, I'd like a word from God. Amen. There's, there's hands up everywhere. I'd like a word from God. 
because I need that to endure. And I'm telling you, He wants to give you a promise to endure the process so you can make it through your purpose in your life. And vote number two, I feel like there's some people here and you know the promise, you know the thing that you're believing for, but you haven't seen it yet. And I want to tell you right in the middle of this process, I mean, this, this can be a really hard time. And, and I, want to, I want you to leave encouraged that God's not done. And this morning, if that's you, you're saying, man, I know what the promise is. But honestly, right now, man, I'm struggling to, to have a good attitude and to be used right where I'm at right now. I just want you to lift your hand. It's okay. I want you to, yeah, there's hands up everywhere. And then there's a third boat, and to me, this is the most important boat this morning because there are people here that haven't made a real commitment or a real step to Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, it doesn't, it doesn't mean a whole lot whenever you just believe in God and who Jesus was. Jesus walked the earth. You can look in the history books. But when Jesus becomes Lord of your life, your life changes. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that are going to be that close to stepping into heaven one day because they believed in God, they believed in Jesus, but Jesus never ruled their life. And you can think about it this way, Satan knows God is real. Satan also knows that Jesus is real. But he will never step foot inside of heaven, why? Because Jesus is not the Lord of his life. And I feel like there's some people here, man, this morning that... You haven't made that step. It's like, man, I believe in both of those things, but honestly, uh, he's not the Lord of my life. And if that's you this morning, on the count of three, I want you to lift up your hands. This is the biggest and best decision of your life that you can ever make. On the count of three, one, two, three. I want you to lift your hands if that's you this morning. I want you to lift your hands if that's you this morning. We've had a couple hands. Yeah, y'all make some noise for the Lord. The last thing we'll do, I'm going to say a quick prayer, and uh, we're going to go right back into worship, and our prayer team is going to come down front. And if there's anything at all that just kind of resonated in your heart this morning that you want prayer for, that you want to agree with, we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. But let's pray. So, Lord, we thank you today. God, we thank you that you have a purpose for our life. We thank you, Lord, that no matter what we endure, that, God, it does not negate the call of God that you have on our lives. Lord, we rebuke the enemy. We rebuke the attacks, Lord, the vipers that might come against us. Lord, we rebuke those things and we throw them in the fire, God, because we know who you are. Our identity is in you, Lord. And I just pray that people would feel encouraged leaving today, God, that your dream for their life is much bigger than anything that we can come up with. Lord, and the biggest and best thing that we can complete in our life is your purpose and your promise for us. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we lift you up. God, you're so good to us. We thank you, and we say all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen, amen. We're going to sing this song, and if you need prayer for anything, come forward. Amen.